This is Patrick Esmond White with Canada Reimagined. This episode, Banking on Change. Today in Canada Reimagined, let's talk about monetary policy. Now wait, don't tune out. I'll do my best to keep your eyes from glazing over. Economics is called the dismal science and is supposed to be data-driven. Now you'd think economists would be good at forecasting, but no. There's a joke that economists have predicted nine of the past five recessions. Then when they're wrong, they just make an excuse and move on. It's only when bank economists are wrong that everyone hurts. Central banks have near total independence from political oversight. Protecting the dollar is their sacred trust. In our capitalist system, to criticize central banks is like a Catholic questioning their infallible pope. When Pierre Polyèvre criticized the Bank of Canada, he was instantly slammed as financially illiterate. He quickly shut up. The thing is, central banks are treated like they are infallible. And yet, just last year, when prices were rising, the U.S. Fed and the Bank of Canada had no clue how much inflation to expect or for how long. They first blamed temporary supply chain issues, and they weren't totally wrong. But as inflation continued to rise, they had to be seen to be doing something or they would lose all credibility. They erred on the side of caution and raised interest rates. It's all they could do. And this is my point. The only real tool the central banks have to fight inflation is the sledgehammer of interest rates. It makes all borrowing more expensive. But that's it. That's their tool. In a recession, the reverse is true. They lower interest rates, print money, and make borrowing easier. Sure, the banks also hint at future rate changes like some magic eight ball. Investors pay attention to the raised eyebrows and tweak their spending plans. The thing is, that sledgehammer works. It slows inflation, but it also flattens sectors of the economy where inflation doesn't exist and where we need affordable investment. As I speak, central banks have been ratcheting up interest rates and promise to continue to do so until inflation is down to 2%. This 2% is their Goldilocks inflation rate. Not too hot, not too cold. Why not 3%, you may ask? After all, that's the target in China. If 3% was the Goldilocks rate in Canada, everybody would simply adjust. The economy would run a bit hotter, more fluid, more ebb and flow, but not all bad, maybe even better. Here's another quirky thing about how banks think. Inflation, as calculated by most central banks, does not include energy or food. Yet that's what most consumers care about. That's what the media report on. That's what politicians worry about. So why exclude food and gas? The reason is that banks mostly care about wage growth. Put bluntly, they want to dampen union demands. Now, you people whose wages can barely pay the bills might think that a bigger paycheck is a good thing. Not so the banks. Banks figure that if inflation is at 2%, expectations of a pay raise will be modest. 
Workers won't strike or quit for 2%. Employers can handle 2%. Over time, however, wages seldom quite cover rising costs. Weirdly, the cost of living often feels higher than inflation. It all depends on how you calculate inflation, and none of this is easy to grasp. What is easy to grasp is that over time, working people get poorer and poorer. Moreover, high interest rates hit the poor the hardest. They're the ones with credit cards they can never pay off and which have punishing interest rates. They're the ones with variable mortgage rates because it seemed all they could afford at the time. They're the ones who lose their homes in a recession. Bankers never feel this pain. They're financially secure. High inflation, of course, is very, very scary. If inflation spirals out of control, the entire economy can collapse. It's catastrophic. This is why banks are cautious to a fault. Their job is to protect the dollar. My generation can remember the inflation crisis in 1973. That crisis started when OPEC, the oil cartel, nearly tripled oil prices overnight. Energy costs skyrocketed. There were other causes, mostly American. In any case, inflation took off and so did interest rates. The economy was careening out of control. Canadians didn't cause that crisis, but everyone here bore the brunt. However, after years of pain in the 1980s, inflation finally dropped to 6% and everyone celebrated. Woo-woo, 6% looked good. So, here we are. In 2023, the Bank of Canada insists inflation as they calculate it come down to 2% tops. But workers are unhappy. Coming out of COVID, many people decided not to work for bad employers with low wages and no benefits. They want to work, just not like they did. So, the bank is raising interest rates until workers fall in line. The hypocrisy is inflation would be under 2% if not for high mortgage interest rates. The bank is now making it worse. There are economists who believe wage increases for the working poor would be a good thing. Of course, a guaranteed basic income for all would solve that problem, but this idea is not taken seriously by those in charge. My favorite economist, Paul Krugman, a Nobel Prize winner who writes for the New York Times, occasionally makes fun of the very serious people in his profession. These serious economists would hate a GBI. They're also the ones who bombard us with dire warnings about debt and the need to cut taxes and to deregulate. They seem to think people exist to serve the economy rather than the other way around. And these are the people in charge. Consider the words used by the Bank of Canada. Humans are described by them in the abstract, you know the lingo, some belt tightening, short-term pain, or the new favorite, a soft landing. Bankers treat poverty, inequality, climate change, or the assault on democracy as irksome. It's as if these have nothing to do with the economy. So you end up with strange contradictions as bankers and politicians work directly against each other. One sucks, the other blows. Take housing. 
On one side, taxpayers put hundreds of millions of dollars into public housing. On the other side, the bank raises interest rates, which slows down housing starts and increases mortgage rates. Where am I going with all this before you fall asleep? The problem to me is that the economic models are antiquated. They've barely changed since the early 20th century. Here's where we're at as I see it. In the pandemic, everyone was afraid with good reason. We shut down much of the economy. The government knew it had to help. Small business especially put all their anti-government rhetoric aside and pleaded for help. Doing nothing was not an option. Every political party agreed. So governments acted. The spending was popular and it worked. During COVID, people stuck at home wanted things. Instead of going out, they ordered in. Instead of trips, they fixed the house. Problem was, lots of things simply weren't available. Why not? Factories had closed in China. A massive ship got stuck and blocked the Suez Canal. Container ports were jammed. The supply chain for things people wanted was broken and the result was inflation. Eventually, the economy rebounded, but not the same as before. People now work differently. Priorities have changed. But inflation still scared the banks. Get it to 2% they demanded. So they raised interest rates across the board on every single loan that's made. And that's what seems so antiquated. The best analogy I can offer is that central banks are like quaint 19th century doctors. Those doctors used bloodletting to purge the body of bad humors. Open a vein, bring on the leeches. I suspect that the blunt use of interest rates will someday be seen as equally primitive, a kind of economic bloodletting. It solves one problem while making others worse. The world as a whole is doing a poor job of maintaining the global economy. Poverty is found everywhere. Worse, the economy must go cold turkey on the addiction to oil and gas. The inability of bankers to provide new insights is perplexing. Humans invented money, capital, and marketplaces. Many brilliant people have given it a lot of thought, but we're stuck with crude measures of inflation, GDP, unemployment, and the like. Yes, Canada's economy is perhaps better than most. We bumble along. So, what might I do differently? The first step is to use artificial intelligence to analyze the massive amounts of economic data now available and use AI to suggest innovative solutions. AI is the perfect tool for economics and monetary policy, a beneficial application of a controversial technology. We would not want AI to make decisions, but AI could provide a better diagnosis of the economy, drawing from massive amounts of data in real time. Economists, governments, and central bankers might suddenly have new tools available, a more sophisticated monetary policy could surgically address some problems and complement government spending. Ideally, these tools would apply results-based management to both monetary and fiscal planning. Do I know what AI would recommend? I'd expect recommendations that are actually fairly subtle. Tweaks, targeted interventions. AI might show how to apply a light tap on the brakes within a specific sector, 
rather than slamming on the brakes of the entire economy. Different interest rates might address specific problems. Central banks might lend at low interest rates on mortgages or on green investments but have high rates on polluting investments. No more one-size-fits-all. No more leaving it to the private sector banks to make policy choices when all they really want to do is make money. Of course, we'll never get advice if we don't ask. Ideally, all political parties would support an investment in theoretical research. Canada is a leader in artificial intelligence. It would be a simple step to fund an initiative to get AI to examine the economy and monetary policy in particular. If ideas emerge that make sense, Canada could implement them, measure results, keep learning, and ultimately show the way for other countries to follow. None of this is going to provide short-term relief. Governments and banks will continue to bumble along. The faith and credit of the Canadian dollar will be protected. But if we really want to promote peace, order, and good government, bumbling along is not good enough. Monetary policy needs a revolution. You've been listening to Canada Reimagined. I'm Patrick Esmond White. My thanks to Tom Plant for my music, Tom Evans for the artwork, and to Harbinger Media, a coalition of independent Canadian podcasters. Tune in again next week. <laughs>